Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. I'm so glad that you came back as we continue our study in the book of Jonah. Who can believe it? We're five weeks into the book of Jonah. This hard-to-find, obscure book of the Bible, a book that only has four chapters, 48 verses. It barely covers a page and a half of our Bibles. And we're in week five. And we've just reached the halfway mark of this book. You know, I've had a few that have said to me, you know, Donald, I, I guess I always considered the story of Jonah uh, as a children's story. You know, a story that you learn in Sunday school and how this big, big fish came and he swallowed up Jonah. But what I'm uh, discovering, and to my surprise, people have said to me, Jonah is so much more <laughs> than just a book about a man named Jonah and a great fish. Man, this story really has God's grace all over it. And it's a story that it's easy to relate to actually in our, in our daily lives. I know that we're tempted to think that Jonah is the star of the book and that the whale should be nominated for best supporting actor. But the true star is God. And all the other are just small actors in the book. Now church family, you gotta help me out on this. This story is all about sin and is this a new crowd? <laughs> we, we practiced this so much last week. But practice makes perfect. This story, the story of Jonah that we have been dealing with for five weeks is a story about sin and grace. grace exactly. It's a story about desperation and Oh, you were here last week. Great. I had someone come up to me after the service. I thought that was great. He says, you know, I've been thinking about the book of Jonah. It's also a story about death and resurrection. And I was like, yes, you got it. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, it's an incredible book. And it seems as though as we read through each verse, uh, we see the contrast between man and God. God has this deep, deep desire that those who are far from him would be able to experience his amazing grace. And that's the right description. Amazing. It is amazing. You know, when I first started studying through the book of Jonah, I never thought in my wildest dreams that we have anything in common. But I'm discovering I have a lot of similarities to Jonah. You know, sometimes you meet somebody for the first time, you know, someone new, and you kind of hit it off. It's like, it's like, you know, you, maybe you have the same interest in, or in politics or, or maybe you have the same interest in sports or you've traveled or you have the same background and there's an instant connection. Well, that's how I feel about Jonah. I feel like we're two peas in the same pod. And uh, whether we like to admit it, I think all of us have similarities to Jonah, though we like to deny it at times. Have you ever heard your child say, or have you ever heard your child say something, and you go, yep, that's his mother coming out in him. <laughs> or, yep, that's her father right, coming out in him. Well, I have a new expression. That's the Jonah coming out in him. You know, I used to always say, sometimes I would go, you know, the devil made me do it. No, I'm just going to say the Jonah inside me got loose. 
if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know what chapter one is all about, right? God comes to Jonah. He says, you know, Jonah, I've been thinking. I've been thinking about a group of people up in Nineveh, a group of people that you don't like, and I know it's a group of people that you would want me to press the red button and nuke them, right, and take them off the planet of the earth. I've been thinking about this. You're the guy that I want to go and speak to those people. And of course, we know Jonah hated those people. He despised them. That's why we use that strong term that Jonah was a racist, because he just, he just thought he was so much better than all those around him. And so when God says to Jonah, go, it was easy for Jonah to say, no, 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 no. And so what we discover that he felt his only option was to take off in the opposite direction. In fact, I'll go so far away that perhaps maybe it'll even be hard for God to find me. Uh, when I read through that, I'm reminded of Psalm uh, 139. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 139 says, if I make my bed in heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I go as far as I can to the east, you're there. If I go as far as I can west, you're there. If I was to go in the darkest place of the earth, before I get there, you turn the light on. And to the psalmist, that was so comforting that he could never be out of the care of God. But that is not true for Jonah. He wanted to get out of God's eyesight. Uh, and he wanted out, and he wanted it now. And so as we know, he buys a ticket, and there just happens to be a nice cruise ship leaving to the farthest destination he knows, Tarshish. And I am sure when he laid his head on his pillow and that ship set sail, he thought to himself, I'm in the clear. I finally got away from God. I'm all alone. He wanted to cut off communications. He wanted the telephone line to heaven to be um, disconnected. However, what we discovered, as we've been discovering through this, that Jonah was indeed in need of a great intervention. I mean, his mind was so messed up, he couldn't know what was bad or good or right from wrong. And here's this God who's so loving and so kind and so compassionate and so full of grace comes after Jonah to save Jonah from Jonah. And of course, we know what happens, right? God sends this great storm. It's no ordinary storm. It was sent by God, and it was big enough. These, these hurricane winds were so strong that it was, it was a boat ready to break the ship up that even the captain and the seasoned sailors figured, this is it. It's over. We're never going to make it back to home again. We'll never see our families. It looks like we will become part of the shipping logs that write, another ship lost at sea with no survivors. And of course, Jonah finally confesses to the captain and to the sailors on board, the whole storm is his fault. It's his fault. And life would be better for them and for him if they would just throw him overboard. Jonah wanted to die. Like he wanted to die. He wanted those men to kill him. He really thought that suicide was the best option for him. And if I was to die, he says, you know, finally there'll be no more worries about doing what God wanted me to do. My life would be so much better if I could just do my own thing. Life would be so much better if God would just leave me alone. You know, it's sad to think that, like Jonah, there are people of God who still think 
that life would be better if God would just leave them alone. That somehow God doesn't really know what I need in my life. That somehow God would want something less than what's the best for my life. I mean, this doesn't make sense. For the one who created you really does know what's best for you. You know, maybe there would be some one here today that would say, well, you know, I, I'm a married man, but, but there's this lady at work that just, she meets more of my needs uh, than my wife. So come on, Donald, get out of the dark ages. It's only a couple of drinks after work. Or maybe as a lady, you're at the gym and there's a gentleman who's given you a lot of attention, much more attention than your husband at home. And you say, well, it's just, we're just going out for coffee after our workout. Or maybe as a, as a teenager, say, hey, Pastor Donald, come on, I'm a teenager. Um, I'm at my sexual peak. I need to experience sex be, uh, before I settle down and get married. You know, some of that stuff in the Bible is just so old-fashioned. And here's the question I want to ask you. Do you really think that God would ask you to do something? Do you really think that God would ask you to do something that would be less than the best for you. The all-knowing, the all-powerful, the all-present God. Oh, let's not be deceived. Let's not be deceived that God has a plan and a purpose for our life that far exceeds our wildest dreams. And last week, we kind of looked at the most famous part of the story. You know, Jonah finally gets thrown overboard. And like most of us, when we get desperate... We do what Jonah did. We pray. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we pray to the one who actually could do something about our situation, our desperate situation? And that's what Jonah does. In the belly of the fish, he begins to pray. And last week I said that all of us are worshipers. We've all been created to be worshipers. You don't have to be a Christian to be a worshiper. You don't have to be religious to be a worshiper. You don't have to be spiritual to be a worshiper. You don't have to follow Jesus to be a worshiper. We worship uh, for the things that bring ultimate value to us. I said we sometimes will worship things that we fear. If we fear loneliness, then we sometimes will worship relationships. We were created to worship. And I want you to know that God is the most reliable object of your worship this morning. That's what makes God so different from all the other options of worship because he extends grace like no other one or thing that we worship. This is what separates God from everything. It's his amazing grace. And in chapter two last week of Jonah, it was a verse there that was kind of in some ways haunting to me because it says... There's a possibility that we could forfeit the grace of God that could have been ours. So take your Bibles again and turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 this morning. Jonah chapter 3. In fact, why don't we stand as we read this this morning? Jonah chapter 3. Are you there? Listen as I read. 
It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Jonah. Illuminate the scriptures to us today. Train our eyes to see Jesus. We need your spirit to help us to see things from your perspective. So we pray, be among us and proclaim your truth. Give them four minds and bent hearts towards your will. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Verse 1 of chapter 3, I was going to say, is the most encouraging verse in the entire Bible, but I won't go that far, but I will say it is definitely the most encouraging verse in the book of Jonah. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of grace. The grace of God gets extended to people who don't deserve it. It says that God came to Jonah the second time. I'd say underline that phrase, the second time. Highlight that phrase, circle that phrase, the second time. Even though Jonah had been disobedient, he tried to cut off all communications with God. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Can we just be honest this morning? Some of us would not be here if God hadn't come to us a second time. God says, go to that great city. And the word used here, this go in the Hebrew, there, there's a, a nuance that gives you the idea that it's, it's go immediately, like now. Uh, don't think about it. It's urgent that you go. I sometimes think about myself when God comes to me the second time. You know, when he says, you know, Donald, you need to go and forgive that person. We've talked about this once already. I'm coming to you again. Now, it's urgent go do it and forgive that person. Uh, next week, I'm actually kind of excited about next week because we're going to look exactly what God asked Jonah to do and we're going to look at the sermon that uh, Jonah preached and I personally think it's probably the shortest sermon ever preached and the worst sermon ever preached. And so we're going to look at that uh, next week. But today, I want us to just see a couple of examples uh, from these verses about the grace of God. There is a reason it's called amazing grace. And I trust that the Spirit of God will really help us see that this morning. See, if we were just to quickly read over this story, you know, sometimes you read a story and you kind of want to know what happens at the end and so you kind of just rush through it because you want to know what happens. And maybe, you know, if you've never heard the story, you just want to get to the end of the book, like what happened? What do the Ninevites do? But if we were to read over these very quickly, we would miss we would miss some of the most amazing things about grace. It would be easy to read the story and actually miss the story. The first thing, the first thing that you notice here in verse 1 of chapter 3 is God does not hold grudges. Think about that. God does not 
hold grudges. Remember I said at the first week that Jonah, uh, when Jonah was asked to go to Ninevite, uh, to, and talk to the Ninevites. They were his arch enemies. I mean, they were war cr- uh, criminals, had a bad reputation. But Jonah didn't go because he, because he was afraid. I mean, he had seen the protection of God before. He didn't go because he didn't think that his mission would be successful. No, that's not why he didn't go. He didn't go because he held a grudge against those people. He did not like those people. He despised those people. And he did not want God He did not want God to extend his amazing grace to his enemies. And even though Jonah ran in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go, and even though he was hoping to cut off all communications with God, and even though he tried to commit suicide, and even though he tried to do things his own way, and even though he was rebellious and self-righteous and self-serving and self-absorbed, God came to Jonah a second time. Just for a second just for a second, turn off all your distractions and think about how good it is that God would come to us a second time and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. I don't know about you, but that is music to my ears. This is an absolute truth that gives me hope for a better and brighter day. I mean, honestly, where would we be if God did not come a second time. Where would we be if God held grudges? Sometimes, sometimes it's so difficult to believe this about God. The fact that his grace is given to rebels, the fact that his grace is given to repeated offenders, You know, it is relatively easy. I've said this before. It is relatively easy to believe that God loves the world. But it's a lot harder to believe that God loves me. See, one is theoretical. The other is very personal. Because we know in our own hearts the facts about our life. And God's love is so unconditional and so unwavering, honestly, it blows, my, it blows my mind. The idea that I cannot sin the coverage of God's grace. We always talk about our sin reaches far, but God's grace always reaches just a little bit farther. Like that blows me out of the wa- mind that I cannot sin, out-sin the coverage of God's grace and mercy. This is not natural for us to believe because we are such conditional people. I mean, if you were to take a a look beneath the surface in your life, you look deep into your heart, sometimes it's hard to conclude that God loves me. Yes, of course he loves Billy Graham. Of course he loves Mother Teresa. Of course he loves the super saints. But God loving me? Because if people knew the real me like I know the real me, people wouldn't want to be around me or hang out with me. So then how could a holy God want that for me? How could a holy God love me? See, the grace of God is so radical. It's scandalous, actually, would be a great word. The grace of God. My forgiveness... Your forgiveness has limits. 
I know I have potential. I have the potential to do something that would actually forfeit the love of those who love me the most. There There are certain things that I could do that actually would forfeit their love and forgiveness to me. Because our love of others is inescapably conditional. Our love has boundaries. Our love has limits. We can cause so much hurt for people that they begin to shut down all around us. And to think that God's love, that God's grace has no boundaries, has no limits, quite frankly, blows my mind. In fact, it is so unbelievable that I have to be reminded of every day of my life. Because it just doesn't seem possible that God would love train wrecks like me. Martin Luther, uh, part of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, he said, we find no rest, we find no rest for our weary bones unless we cling to this word, grace. Notice in the text here in chapter 3 what God doesn't say. That's what amazes him. What God doesn't say in chapter 3. He doesn't remind Jonah of his failings. He doesn't throw it up in his face, his past mistakes. And we all probably could learn something about that, all the characteristics of God. Because how easy is it for us to remind our wife, our wife of their mistake, or our husband, or our children, or our neighbor, or our co-worker of past mistakes. I remind myself quite frequently of my own past failures. And sometimes I get gripped and lose the liberating power of the gospel. There's nothing that would allude to the fact that God is thinking here, I know I'm going to regret asking Jonah to do this a second time. There's nothing in there that alludes to that. That God is up there. I don't know. I'll give it a try, but I'm not too sure about this guy. There's nothing in there. How many times have I had couples in my office over 28 years of pastoring? Couples, parents, or children sit in my office talking about the strain of relationships because of a grudge. We hold grudges against our wives. We hold grudges against our husbands. We hold grudges against our children. We hold grudges against our parents. We hold grudges against in-laws. We hold grudges against churches. We hold grudges against pastors. We hold grudges against other Christians. When I think about what God has done for us, if there was anyone in the world, you think we would know what it means not to hold a grudge. So the world could look at us and go, you know, there's something very different about that. Because what has happened there, if that were me, and I got hurt like that, there would be a grudge. There would be an opportunity for me to try to get even. But that's not God. God does not hold a grudge towards us. I, I, can't, I can hardly fathom it. Now listen to this. I want to read from you out of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now listen to the difference. Okay. 
Let me read that to you. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now here's the key. Listen to this. Reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. What? Have you ever heard of such a thing? Is it no wonder we say it's radical, this grace of God? Can I read it one more time? And all this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That is the gospel right there. That is the beauty of the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel right there. God does not count men's sins against them because of Christ. Well, you may say, well, Donald, if God doesn't hold men's sins against them, doesn't count it, who does he count it against? Great question. And for those who know Christ, for those who know Christ as their Savior, God counts their sin against his Son, Jesus. But listen, those who don't know Jesus, God counts their sin against them. You understand? If you don't know Jesus, God counts your sin against you. But if you know Jesus, because of Christ, God counts your sin, my sin, against the Son. That's what raised me from death to life, counting my sin against Jesus. Remember, listen to this. God's acceptance of us is not gained by past achievements or forfeited by past failures. That should set you free right there. That should liberate you. I think many of us have a hard time believing that God could forgive us. I think there are people here this morning who have a hard time really believing that God could forgive me of my past. I do. And let me tell you, I fall victim to it myself. Why? Because so often I count my own sin against myself. Remember this. God's acceptance of us is not gained by past achievements or forfeited by past failures. That should make you burst at the seams to know that. How can we drill that into our heads and our hearts? God does not hold grudges. That is good news. We do, <laughs> but he doesn't. And God's grace is experienced when our imperfections, when our sin were placed on Jesus. You know, God didn't lighten the demand, by the way. 
God made the demand, but God met the demand. That's what's amazing. And that's why we call it amazing grace. And the cross, the cross demonstrates that God does not hold righteous. He doesn't negotiate and he doesn't give up. What an amazing grace. What an amazing God. So the question really is, do you know him? Do you know the amazing grace of an amazing God? Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed and our band coming up to play, I just, I just want you to think for a moment. Would you just ask yourself, do I know Jesus? Notice I'm not asking you, do you know things about Jesus? I'm just simply asking, do you know Jesus? Do you know the one who died for you? Do you know that he died for you? He he doesn't just love the world. He loves you. And all the mess-ups and hang-ups, his grace is so much greater than your sin. And so as we are getting ready to close, I, I just want you to know that if you don't know Jesus, that's why we're here this morning. That's why God strategically placed us here in this city, that this city would know that there's a God who loves them. And if there was no one else in this world, he still would have come, but you, he still would have come and died for you. That's the love that God has. And this morning, if you don't don't know Jesus, you can. Your life can be changed this morning by just simply praying and saying, you know, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that. I don't have to be convinced of that. I know it. And God, I, I think I'm just tired of trying to prove that I'm good enough. I know I never will be. And so, Lord, I, I just invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Transform my life, I pray, God. Make my life new again in you. The Bible says if we would admit that we're sinners and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're saved, that our lives can be transformed in a moment in time. It's a defining moment in people's lives when they give their lives to Jesus. And so my word of encouragement to you today is don't leave here this morning without knowing for sure that you know Jesus. Don't leave here this morning if you're not sure your sins 
are going to be held against Christ and not yourself. Because Christ is the only one. The only one sufficient enough to take on your sin and make you new again. This morning we are going to take communion together. And for those who maybe church is new to you, maybe not even too sure what communion is, but for the follower of Jesus, for the ones whose lives have been transformed by the power of Christ, we just, on a regular basis, kind of slow things down to remind ourselves how amazing God's grace is. We take a moment to just to think and thank what God's done. And so we're going to pass out two elements, a cup of juice and a piece of bread, which just represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. You know, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And that's what Jesus did. And his body was broken uh, on our behalf. And so we celebrate that this morning. And so, Father, we say thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for doing what we could never do for ourselves. We could never do it for ourselves. Thank you for being the ultimate sacrifice that our sins are no longer just covered, but they're actually forgiven. And that is the power of the cross. And Lord, we thank you that not only do we serve a Savior who died, but that he rose again, proving to all he has the